series that Pastor Jeremy's doing on, on freedom, um, we knew in advance that this week he was going to be gone most of the week at a, at a conference, and so I was going to step in and just, and just uh, fill this, this Sunday, and we'll resume that series next week, um, and be praying for him, too, that he, um, he got back this week, but then he picked up a, a pretty nasty cold, um, you know, fall kind of cred stuff. Um, he, it's not COVID. <laughs> That's all cool, but, but he just wasn't um, feeling that he should be here today or could be here today. So um, just keep in your, him in your prayers. Um, but I have a word for you today, and I trust that something's going to help you and, and bless your life. What comes to mind when you hear this term? The good life. Just, just think about it. The good life. And, because chances are, as you hear that, all of us have some kind of picture that springs springs up in our, in our minds. You know, we have, we have some kind of snapshots of, of what that might look like. You think about the good life. Oh, well, here's what the good life is, and here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like, and here's, here's all. And, and, um, and we're all sort of desirous of the good life, whatever that may be to each one of us. We're always, you know, not only we have that picture in our mind, but we're always, always Photoshopping that picture. We're always trying to make it clearer and crisper and and, and, and more real to us. Um, so we're going to look at a letter that was written to the early church by um, James. Because um, he has something to tell us about the good life. And, and I hope it's, it's helpful for us today. I don't know how much you know about James. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, and James actually, for part of his life, didn't believe and didn't follow Jesus. He didn't believe who Jesus was. I don't, I, I don't know how many of you know the, the Christian comedian, Michael Jr. He, if you don't, look him up on YouTube. He's hilarious. But he does a little, a little skit on how hard it must have been for James to be the half-brother of Jesus. Because Jesus does all these things. And so he, you know, he, he wonders, like, what would it be like that you know, Jesus goes to a party and he turns water into wine and he heals people and he does other things. And what happens when James goes to a party? And people just sort of look at him like, <laughs> just an odd way of thinking about it. But James is a, a unique character in Scripture and a powerful character in Scripture. Even though it doesn't write a lot about him, it does record this one short letter that he wrote to the early church. Um, once he, he witnessed and, and came in, in contact with the risen Christ, he became a devout follower um, of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and understood now that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah sent from heaven to redeem the earth. Um, he, James became the leader in the church at, at Jerusalem. Um, it, it appears that he was the chairman at the, at the council in Jerusalem, that, that great meeting that took place. Um, Paul referred to James and called him um, a pillar of the church. Um, this, this guy, James, I don't know if you've read his book. I hope that you have or his letter. Um, sometimes James is one of those letters that we only read at certain times because, because of who he was and how he wrote. Um, he was a no-nonsense kind of guy. James was a just tell it like it is, you know, all whole, no, no, nothing withheld. Just, just He puts it out there. He, James was the kind of guy you'd, you'd take time out and you'd, you'd love to go hear him preach but you wouldn't want to sit across the table and have coffee with him. You know, he was, he was that kind of guy. Not rude, not caustic, but just so blunt, just so transparent, just so real. He, it, tact wasn't his best gift. 
When you read his, his letter, you understand that he wasn't a real tactful kind of guy. You know, he never read the gospel of Mary Poppins. You know, that a, a teaspoon of sugar, what? Helps the medicine to go down. He never learned that. He never figured that out. I don't know how many of you remember the story of the, the king who has no clothes. Everyone's aware of that, how this entire, this king and then his entire village was, was duped by these con artists into believing that they had made for the king this, this, the best kingly robe and garments ever designed. And to, and to such a point, that, but there was nothing. They, they, it, was all, it was all a hoax. But they had convinced the king and, his, and all his servants and all the people around him, and it, it's filtered out into the, into the village that when the king showed up in this robe, he was the king. You, you can't say negative things about a king. So everyone would just... Oh, and wonder at this beautiful, magnificent robe that the king was wearing, but the king wasn't really wearing a robe. And, you know, out of the crowd, there's a little voice that says, hey, the king has no clothes on. That was James. That, that, okay, that's the kind of guy he was. And, that, and it, you can see it at the beginning of his letter. When you start out and read the first, just the, the first verse, uh, or a couple verses of James, there's no greeting there's no warm story. There's no encouragement. There's no prayer of thanksgiving. You know, if you read the Pauline letters, you know, he almost always starts with some story or, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, or, oh, I so appreciate the gift that you sent me, or, or oh, I'm, I'm hearing testimony of your faithfulness. And there was always that kind of, not, not James. James, he says, this is from James. I read him to y'all, the 12 tribes, Greetings. That was it. That was his opening. Just greetings. And then immediately, what does he do? He just starts talking about trials and temptations. He starts talking about how hard, how hard life may be. He starts talking about the fact that, that um, hi, I'm James. Greetings. Now let's get down to business. And, and it wasn't even good stuff. It was, let's talk about trials and temptations. Because they're a part of life. You know what it would be like? If you bought a new house, a young couple, they buy a new house, right? And, and you have that, that family members come over. They're going to see your house for the first time. You know, and it's that one family member that walks in while everyone else is saying, oh, this is so nice. I'm so glad for you. I'm so happy. This is so... He's the one that walks in and looks around and goes, yep, this is going to cost you a lot to keep up. You know, he, he, James is sort of that guy, not trying to be harsh, but just... Blunt. James sends this letter, and maybe the people expected encouragement or were, probably were excited to receive a letter from James, but he starts out just matter of fact trials and temptations. That's right. Life is filled with them. You're not exempt because you're a Christian. You're going to experience them, they're going to come. You're either on your way, you're either in one, on your way out of one, or you're on your way to one. It's just there. Just, and he's saying, just get used to it. Just accept, stop making excuses, stop whining about it. J just know that that's a part of life. We can use them um, for our own good. We can use them to advance our cause, or we can use them as excuses to, to dismiss ourselves. Those experiences, when they come, they can be tragic or they can be transformation, transformational. You got to choose. That's, that's sort of the posture that James takes. But in his bluntness, I think there's a refreshing perspective 
that he also brings. That there's a, a unique outlook and view that he has on life that um, is worth noting today. It's worth taking time out for a few minutes and, and looking at it. You know, it's, it's easy in this life, and we know about it just in the times that we live. It's very easy to become Eeyore-ish. You, you know what I mean by that? If you know Winnie the Pooh, the, the, his char- that one character, a friend of his, that everything's always bad. Everything's always negative. You know, for, for Eeyore, not only is the cup half empty, it's also cracked. Yeah, it's that kind of outlook on, on life. Um, it, it, you see the darkness, you see the pain, you see the problem, you see what's, what's not working or, or what can't work. And, and that's an Eeyore-ish kind of um, perspective and, and outlook on life. Have you ever found yourself, have you ever been guilty of, of, this, kind of a, this kind of a thought process? Will, will all I see every day is evil deeds of men? Why do I have to watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. In our own language, we've had those thoughts. We've had those times. We may be dealing with some of them now. You, you, you listen to the news. You, you look at the tone of the day and time in which we live. And it's easy to fall into this Eeyore-ish sort of perspective or outlook on life. And you're not the first one to think that way. The statements that I read were taken hundreds of years ago, written hundreds of years ago by the prophet Habakkuk, who he looked at his day. And here we have realistic James writing this letter. And he's not denying that life has hardships. He's already stated and introduced from the beginning, life is filled with trials and temptations. And they're real. He's not denying or dismissing or minimizing them. What he's saying is, because they're real, there's a better lens through which we as Christians should look at them. There's a better perspective that we should have and live with every day that will help us see those things in a different light. So let's read our text, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll see what the Lord has for us today. James, the first chapter, and we're going to read verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. James is making a premise here. He's saying that there is a good life available, but a genuine good life will never be realized apart from or outside of a God life. Okay? That only those who truly know God can really experience and truly know good. That's the premise he's building on that I hope we can develop today. Father, thank you. You are here. Your presence is here among us. And and I pray now you anoint this time, fill it, by your Holy Spirit, in our hearing, fill, fill it in our, my teaching, and accomplish your purpose in us. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if there's better lenses by which to see um, the life that's unfolding and life that happens, especially during those more difficult times, what, what are those lenses? Well, believe it or not, there's three of them. You, you probably wouldn't have guessed that, but there's three of them, and, and let's just go through them. Number one. 
What's the first lens? If it's good, it's God. Okay? If it's good, it's God. Now, in order to do that, understand this, we have to first stop and spend a minute talking about this word good. We all have a concept of what good is. But have you, have you ever thought, where did that concept come from? Why do we even have in our thinking the idea or expectation or anticipation or understanding of this term good? Where does that even come from? Now, James, his short answer would be good exists because God exists. And, and it's a good answer. And it's a, it's a correct answer. Because goodness, if we we're going to go back to really trace this word, this concept, this idea that we have, that that's, there's something called good, all right? We have to go back to the beginning and the origin. And goodness is the very character of God. Goodness is God's inherent character. It's his essential nature. God is good. It's, it's not first and foremost what he does. It's who he is. You can't separate God from good, and you can't separate good from God. If we're going to understand the word truly, accurately, clearly, that will help us in, in how we view life. The, the, John wrote, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Okay, now we could have substituted that word, that God is good, and there's no ungoodness in him. God is good. Does he do good? Of course. But his goodness is simply, his acts of goodness are simply products of who he is. They're just the overflow of his nature. He acts according to his nature. God is good. And we can see that all the way back to creation itself. That, that his goodness was incorporated into what he did. Because his character is good, then of course anything he does and anything he creates is good. You know the creation account. God's every day adding to, adding to. And every day, what's, the, what's recorded in the Bible? God looks at it and says, this is good. He declares it good written, designed into the fabric of creation. And then when he's all done, he sits back and he looks at it and he makes another declaration. He says, this is what? Very good. This is very good. This is exactly what I designed. This is exactly what I imagined. This is exactly what I had in my heart. This is very good. See, Adam and Eve, if you can try to... Imagine this. Adam and Eve lived in the fullness of God's goodness. Imagine that. I can't. I tried. I can't even fathom what that would, must be like, what it felt like, to, to live in the fullness of God's goodness. But here's what I do know. Because it was designed, God's character was designed right into it and was the, it was the driving force of creation itself, that, that memory is fixed in the, in, the, in the corporate consciousness of humanity. We have a concept of good because God is. Do you understand that? 
we wouldn't, we wouldn't have any concept or idea or expectation of good if, if that weren't true. That, that's not something we created in ourselves. Adam understood good, but it, it was just a byproduct of his understanding of who God is. He understood the goodness of God. And God just acts out of who he is and does good. Good exists because God exists. Now, there's a problem, and we know there's a problem. Sin. Sin comes along, and along with all the other destructive things it did, what did it do? It polluted our idea, our concept, our definition, our understanding of the word good. Good once sin is introduced, was no longer defined by the character of God, but rather was defined by the circumstance of man. Man began to define what was good and what wasn't good based on his own situation, his own circumstance. Good became about satisfying himself. Good became became something that involved gratifying his flesh. Preferring and pleasing himself now became his idea of good. Adam and Eve, after sin, suddenly thought it was good to hide from God. They suddenly thought it was good to try and cover themselves and their weaknesses with with their own abilities, their own energies, their own supply. They thought it was good to defend themselves even at the expense of the other person. See, suddenly good shifted in their minds. Suddenly we think because of sin that that it's good to always get my own way. And we chase after that. Good became seeking my pleasure, my wealth, my position. The Apostle John tells us in in his epistle that all of life All of this fallen world comes under three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Pleasure and wealth and position suddenly become the highest good. And chances are at the beginning when I said, what is the good life? Some of the things that came to your mind were under those categories. Came under those headings. Because that's what what good has become. Our quest for the good life is sin's counterfeit for the God life. Okay? Sin makes self the standard now of what's good. If it pleases me, it's good. If I don't like it, it's not good. And good is defined by my circumstance, and I don't even consider God or his character in the process of defining whether something truly is good or not. And James comes along understanding this, and he says, don't be deceived. He starts his passage with a warning. Don't be deceived. Don't be seduced, that word means. Don't be led astray. This is serious stuff. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Don't fall into that pattern of thinking. Don't let that become your outlook on life. Outside of knowing God and truly knowing God, good becomes an alluring magnet of self-gratification. And we then begin to direct and design and build our lives on that draw. It's a force that pulls us 
And if we give into it, it, it holds us fast in its grip. There, there was a gentleman whose name was J.D. Rockefeller. In, in his day, he was one of the richest men in the world and one of the most powerful men in the world. He wanted nothing. He, he lacked in, in nothing. And he was asked a question in an interview one day, well, Mr. Rockefeller, you have wealth that people can't even imagine. How much, how much money and things, how much is enough? And his response was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. See, outside of God, good is never satisfied. You'll never have enough. You'll never be enough. You'll never do enough. You'll never gain enough if good just rests on satisfying self, if good just rests on pleasing the flesh. There's a wise man in the Bible, King Solomon. He wrote a, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the whole book is that premise. The whole book is his, a man's search for good. And he tried it all. Many of you have probably read, read the book. He tried everything, and nothing was denied him, and he denied himself nothing. And he, he reached the pinnacle. Some argue that Solomon was probably the richest, most powerful, and, and wealthy man ever of all times. And you can read in Scripture of the kingdom that he built. Denied himself nothing, and, but says this. At the last part of his book, he says, here's the end of the story. Out of everything I've done, everything I've experienced, everything I've gained, everything I've gathered, all the good that I've experienced... Here's the end of the story. Fear God and keep his commandments. He says different times through his writing, I tried this, it was vanity. I did that, it was vanity. I got all this, it was vanity. Nothing satisfied. He had more good things and had good experiences, more than we will ever imagine in our lifetimes. And he says it's all vanity. It was all hollow. It was all empty. It didn't satisfy that inner core of my being. It didn't bring me to a place that I thought good things would produce in me. And at the end of the story, he says, there's only two things that really I found bring that level of contentment in life. There's only two things that I found that actually produce in me the good life. And that's trust God and obey God. Trust and obey. Learn to rely and depend and build your life on the character of God, not the, your situation or circumstance. Learn to build your life based on who God is and who he says he is. Base your, your life on his word and his promises and follow them and obey them. And it's going to produce in you what nothing else can. Because ultimately... Only God is good, so only God can do good and produce good. Solomon discovered what James is writing, what James is telling us. He's saying every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It comes from the Father of lights. The, and, and God never changes. That's what he means when he says there's no variation or shadow. He's saying that God's immutable. God doesn't change. God is good. He only does good things, and that's never going to change. That's written in, in um, humanity. It's written in eternity that God will always be good. And if something truly is good, it will point you to God. 
If something comes in your life, you want to find out if it's good or not. See if it aligns you or points you towards God. See if that thing that just happened to you has the fingerprints of, where's Paul? Has the fingerprints of God on it. That's how you know if it's really good or not. That's how you can define if it's, if it's really good. Because if it's not from God, it may not be sinful. It may not even be harmful. But maybe we should dial down our interpretation of how good it is. Maybe we should put it in a different column or different category. See, as Christians, we begin to understand, as you really understand, uncover the, the character of God, in this area, you start understanding some other things. You start understanding that not everything that feels good is good. Anybody learn that lesson? Do you ever follow your emotions? Do you ever just act out of what your emotions were telling you to do, what would feel good in the moment? Do you ever do that? Would you advise that? You know, binge eating feels good in the moment. Right? Blasting someone on social media feels good while you're typing it in until you hit post and you say, oh, what did I do? See, feeling good about something doesn't make it good just because it feels good. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that don't understand that. They think that life is all about how you feel. And, and how you feel is the def definition of what good is or isn't. Christians should never fall into that trap. Not everything that feels good is good. And the reverse of that, the second point there is not everything that is good feels good. That's, a, that's another hard lesson to learn and to accept, but it's an important lesson. You know, there's physical disciplines in life, right? Things like exercise and, and, and going to the dentist regularly and, and skipping dessert, saying no to dessert, of, of um, eating more green things. You know, they don't always feel good. It doesn't feel good to say no to the second helping of apple pie. But how I many you know it probably is good? It probably is good. But, you know, there's spiritual disciplines. There's ways that we're to live and operate and things we're to institute into our lives as lifestyle that may not feel good. We, we, buck, we buck under a word called obedience. Surrender. Humility. Come on, we can be honest. In our humanity, we don't, our, our initial reflex is, oh, that's good. They, they feel awkward to us, but yet they're very good. They're very good. It doesn't always feel good to say, I'm sorry. It doesn't always feel good to say, please forgive me. But in the right time, in the right situation, it's the best thing you can do. And it's probably really the only good thing you can do. But only through knowing God and his character and coming to learn that more and more will we be able to, in this life, discern the difference as life unfolds of what's truly good and what's not. And then the psalmist tells us something great, that, that as we follow hard after the Lord, a couple of companions start following us. Surely, 
goodness and mercy begin to follow us. We start noticing that his goodness catches up with our circumstances if we'll give him opportunity, if we'll look for him. We start finding out that it's, it's absolutely true. He really does work all things together for good for those who love him. doesn't say all things are good. He says he'll work them that way in spite of us because God only does out of who he is. He does good. Now, if you understand all that, when I say, if it's good, it's God, you say amen. 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 That was a, that was a setup, I guess. Number two, okay, if it's good, it's God. If it's God, it's a gift. If it's God, it's a gift. Every good and perfect gift. Everything that comes to us from God is is a gift. Now, who doesn't like gifts? Everybody likes gifts. I love gifts. You love gifts. The excitement of it, the surprise of it, the anticipation of it, the fun. The fun of getting a gift is, is, is enjoyable, is delightful. And then something that makes gifts even more meaningful is when you stop and pause and don't even think of the gift itself. You just think about the giver. You think about the fact that somebody took time out of their schedule. They stopped and they thought about you. They stopped and they, they considered you. They stopped and, and at their expense and, and, and energy and consideration, they figured out, how can I enrich that person? How can I enrich and how can I bless their life in some way through a simple gift? And so when they bring that gift, it's much more than the gift itself. Because you're, you're also receiving and seeing an expression of the, the heart of the giver. You know, I have, I have some gifts at home, and I'm sure you do too. That to anyone else, they would look at and say, why are you even keeping this? You know, it has no real value. It, has no, you know, it could be a scrap of paper that has some writing scribbled on it. But to you, it's priceless. You, you'll never get rid of it. And it's not because the gift was so expensive or elaborate, but what was behind it made a difference and made an impact in your life. And, and it, it now is a prized gift and treasure in your, in your heart. Well, God is a gift giver. God loves to give gifts. He, he, I think that's why he designed Christmas the way this Christmas is unfolded. He loves gifts. He just loves to give out of his goodness. He loves to express his goodness by giving gifts. He says that his gifts, every good gift. Now, we've already talked about his goodness, that it comes out of his character. But he also says that every perfect gift. Did you ever try and buy a perfect gift for someone? Yeah, It's not as easy to do as it sounds. What is a, what is a perfect gift? Well, if a good gift shows us God's character, then why does he say include a perfect gift, a, a, a flawless gift? Because a perfect gift shows us how well he knows you. A perfect gift, in order to give a perfect gift, you have to know that person. You can't have some casual acquaintance. You can't give a perfect gift to your mailman. If you're going to give a perfect gift to someone, the, the underlying reality in order to do that is that there has to be an, an intact, growing, dynamic, 
loving relationship in order for you to even make that determination. The best gifts you give are to the people you know the best because you're in a relationship with them. Personal gifts or perfect gifts aren't always practical gifts. And there's nothing wrong with a practical gift. We, we need certain types of things in our lives, and, and sometimes practical gifts are, are, you know, they're welcomed and we're glad to receive them. You know, but, but practical gifts, you know, they make sense. They're, they're useful. They, they meet a need, perhaps. Practical gifts. Early in our marriage, you know, I, I had this thing. I've relaxed some, but still not very much, that when it comes to giving gifts on birthdays and Christmas, forget practical gifts. I don't think a kid should get and unwrap a package of underwear at Christmas time. I'm sorry. That's just, that just doesn't seem right to me. It's practical. He probably needs them. But it's, not, it's far from a perfect gift. You know, see, perfect gifts are perfect because they're personal. Per- perfect gifts are personal because it, it expresses a, a knowing of that person. A perfect gift, you can get for someone a perfect gift that no one else in the world would even think to get them. Because of the relationship you have with the person, a perfect gift is an extravagant gift. It's an expensive gift. Now, I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about finance. I'm talking about the expenditure of yourself. The expense of yourself to figure out and bring and present to this person a perfect gift. A gift that, to the best of your ability, is going to satisfy their heart. It's going to be something wonderful and unique to, to bless their life. It, it comes out of an investment of your life in them. Not just writing a check in order to buy something that's expensive, materialistically. Gentlemen, let me help you out. If, if it's her birthday, or if it's a wedding anniversary, don't give her a gift card. That's one step this side of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it won't go well. Oh, but it's to her favorite restaurant. Great, don't give her a gift card. Get the babysitter, make the reservation, buy the flowers, get her in the car, take her to the restaurant. And all the ladies said, <laughs> I want to I show you a, per- a, a, a picture in a second. I, I had a birthday recently. I won't tell you which one, but you already know what it is, so what does it matter? But to illustrate this, I guarantee you, if you were going to buy me a gift for my birthday, you would have never thought of this one. Go ahead, put it up. That's called a slingshot. Now, my kids didn't buy me a slingshot, so don't get worked up. But they know me. And so what they did, and I can't, cash it in actually until springtime because it wouldn't be any fun right now but they rented that for me for a day yeah now you would have never thought to do that and if you did you would have dismissed it saying no he would never but I'm excited about that 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 was a perfect gift That, that and how did it come about it comes about because of a relationship it comes out of hearts that are blended together and, and looking for ways, to, not necessarily practical, not ne- just to bless. 
just to enrich, just to honor, just to enhance. God gives those kinds of gifts. God gives perfect gifts, personal gifts, extravagant gifts, expensive gifts. God gives gifts that are from him, his heart, that, that are part of himself. His gifts come to us out of his awareness of us. That's an amazing reality. That, that's just, he knows us so intimately, so warmly. He knows us so completely. He knows our greatest needs. He knows our greatest desires. His gifts, will, when they come to us, they'll satisfy an area of our soul that nothing and no one else can or would even know how to because he knows you better than you know yourself. He's that intimately involved and concerned about you. But you need to know this, and it's part of what James is trying to teach us. It's an important point that often in life, those gifts, those perfect gifts that we desire and need, they come wrapped in the trials and temptations of life. We'd rather that not be the case, but I'm thankful that it is because trials and temptations are hard and we need help during those times. And God is a God who's so loving and so intimately involved that he doesn't sit outside of time and just watch us go through trials and temptations. He comes and enters into those experiences with us, and he says, I'm here. And he, and he hands over gifts, even in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that temptation. See, not every gift that comes to us is from God. Let's, let's know that first. There are things in life that are harmful. They're painful. They're destructive. They're damaging. They're they're. They're out to destroy and hurt our lives. We live in a broken world, and sometimes that brokenness we feel, and it spills over into our lives. But James is saying that even in the midst of this brokenness, God gives perfect gifts. He gives perfect gifts. He illustrated and spoke to us of one already. In, in a time of failure, in a time of, of, of sin, in a time of stumbling and falling, in a time of messing up in our, in our walk, in our journey with him, God comes along in the midst of that awareness and guilt and condemnation that's happening inside of our heart and inside of our, our soul. Along comes wrapped inside that thing a perfect gift called forgiveness. That's a perfect gift. When you're dealing with sin, that's a perfect gift. Or, or he looks down and he sees that we're going through a time of, of failure. Man, life just, life just messed up. Something we really thought was going to happen didn't happen. And, we, and, and, it just, and, and we're, we're just feel so defeated and so overwhelmed. And like, I, I just maybe I should just give up on, on this and give up on life and give up on myself. And he comes along with this perfect gift. And we don't know where it comes from, but yet we sense it and we feel it. That in, at our lowest point, there's this gift inside of us called hope that whispers, give it another day. Take another step. We can't think of one logical reason to do that, but yet it's there and won't go away. And what do we do? We, we give it another try because of this perfect gift called, called hope. It happens in all these different areas. You're, you're in a time of stress, and there's this thing called peace. You're in, a, you're in a time of, of weakness. 
And the Bible talks about this perfect gift called joy that becomes strength to us. You're in a time of just feeling all alone and deserted and rejected and abandoned in this, this gift of his presence. This promise that he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, comes alive inside of you. That's the perfect gift of God. That's the goodness of God exhibiting himself in your life. You know, we sing a song around here called Waymaker. You know, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. And we sing it, and you could just, and the temperature rises in the room as we sing that chorus a time or two. Every time it gets a little more intense, a little why is that? Why do we? That's one of my favorite songs, probably one of yours as well. Why is that? Because, because it's talking about the gifts. It's talking about those perfect gifts. Sometimes we feel lost, but God shows up as a way maker. Sometimes we feel just, just like we're out of options. I don't know which way to turn. And he comes along as, as a miracle worker and he makes a way where there was no way. Sometimes we, we, we just don't know what to believe. Everything and everybody has let us down. And then comes this gift that says, yeah, but he's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. I can, I can just stand on his word. And, and he's going to show himself a promise keeper. I can, sometimes I'm just blinded by life. I don't know if you get in situations where you don't, you're looking, but you see nothing. You can't see, you can't see direction. You can't see a proper way to go. You can't see and find your way out of a circumstance. But then he comes along as, as light in the darkness. See, we love those, that song because it talks about his perfect gifts that he brings to us even in the middle of whatever. Even in the midst of whatever. Anybody thankful that our good God gives perfect gifts? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God he does. Thank God he does. I gotta, I've got to end this thing. If it's good, it's God. If it's God, it's a gift. Number three, my last point. If it's a gift, it's grace. It's a, if it's a gift, it's grace. The last part of verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Of his own will, God chose. All his goodness, all his gifts, they grow out of the same root, and that root is called grace. All of the goodness of God that we can experience comes to us because of his grace, because of his unmerited favor. God has chosen to like you. God has chosen for you to belong to him. God has chosen to add favor, to give his favor to your life. I want you to think about that. Try to, try to feel this statement that came out of the heart of King David. And think of a time where you really felt this. Maybe you've even prayed it. God, what is man that you're even mindful of him? Did you ever think that? Did you ever have those times with God, that a moment with God where you realize who he is and who you are? And the gap is so great. You say, God, why, why do you even know me? Why do you, why do you even think about me? What, what's, what is there about me that you would even pause for a, a nanosecond in time to give me attention? What, what have I done that would deserve 
any regard from you at all. When we put it in right perspective, God, what, what, what's good about me that you would accept me? And then on top of accept, adopt me into your family. God, I don't, I don't get it. I'm just blown away by this, this reality. What, what, what is there about me that's worth the blood of Jesus? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't connote. And we, because, and we know the answer. There's nothing. There's nothing we have that warrants his grace. There's nothing we've done that should cause him to be motivated to show us his favor. Paul writes it I, better than I can say it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's not of anything you've done. It's a gift of God. God's good gift of grace that is available to us. That's how we know his goodness. That's how we experience his perfect gifts. Let, let's stand. What, what are we to do with this word? What's the right response? When we talk about the good gifts and grace of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the gifts that he brings to us each and every day. How do we respond? Well, two things, and then we're going to pray. First of all, to model it. The final passage in our text says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. A kind of first. We know that he's the first fruit of the resurrection. But we're to be that kind. We're to be of that kind. We're to live that kind of life. We're to live the kind of life Jesus lived. We're to be developing by the work of his Holy Spirit the kind of character that he has. His life that's in us should be overtaking our old life and we become a kind of first fruits to the rest of the world. We model it as recipients of his goodness, of his gifts, of his grace. We're also to be exporters, conduits of those same virtues to the others around us so that they too can know him. And then secondly, how do you respond to his goodness, his gifts, his grace, all the same way with one word, thanksgiving. What else can you do? What else can you offer God who is so good? He's good to you all the time. He only thinks good about you. He only does good towards you. What, what can you do except say thanks? A God who gives perfect gifts at the right time, in the right way, in the right proportion. And that, and that gift sustains you and keeps you and blesses you and holds you. What do you, what do, you do? You, what, can we give him an equal kind of gift back? Just, just say thanks. Just say thanks. His grace. Oh my goodness. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus did it all, took it all so that we could have it all. His grace. How do you respond to that? How do you, what do you say to a God who gives you his favor and you know you don't deserve it on any level? You know what you really do deserve. Say thanks. Live a life of thanksgiving. 
Let your heart be filled with gratitude before the Lord all the time, every day, continually. Because of his wonderful goodness, because of his gifts and his grace. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today? Aren't you thankful for Jesus today? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless God. Thank him now. Just out of yourself, just offer him thanks from your own heart. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his gifts. Thank him for his grace. All that are active and operating in your life now. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Lord, our hearts are full when we think of you, when we consider you. Let your word work in us today. Let your word transform us today. Let your word change our focus and outlook on life today. Help us first to see and filter everything else through your goodness, your gifts, and your grace. Let, be, let that be the lens through which we view others and the world around us. And Lord, out of that new perspective, help us to be carriers of those virtues and those gifts. And Father, more and more every day, help us to have growing hearts of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for your word today. And thank you for your people who hear it and receive it. And thank you that you're going to work through your word in our hearts to make us just a little bit more like Jesus by the power of your spirit. Bless this time as we conclude our gathering, Lord. Go with your people. Let your presence rest on them. Let your word follow them. Let your spirit fill every fiber of their being. Be the theme and source of their life. Be their protection. Be their provision. Be everything that only you are and can be in their life. Dismiss us with your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise God. Thank God. God bless you. I'm so glad you're here today. Take time to say hello to somebody. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.